Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon. I'd like to welcome everyone to the Perkins Platform. It's a radio show dedicated to issues and educational leadership in public schools across the country. I'm Brian Perkins, and we have a fantastic show scheduled today uh, entitled The Second Battle of New Orleans uh, Public Schools at the Center. And we have a variety of individuals with us today. We have only 30 short minutes, uh, but it's going to be power-packed. Um, and so I would like to welcome everyone who's on the call today. Uh, we have uh, Jenny Montezuma, who is a lower school leader in a PK through two charter school in New Orleans. We have uh, Katie Cooney, who is a special ed coordinator and director of therapeutic programs in a PK-8 charter school in, in New Orleans. We have Dana Christian, who is a former teacher in Jefferson Parish and New Orleans as a charter school teacher. Um, we have uh, Davina Allen, who is a current teacher, a current physics teacher, and a member of the executive council in the local uh, teachers union. Uh, I'd like to mention that Davina is uh, in one of the uh, one of three high schools that is run by what is now the uh, New Orleans uh, Board of Ed. And then finally, we have Patrick Walsh, who is the a uh, charter, uh, uh, charter school accountability officer for the state of Louisiana. So I'd just like to welcome all of you, and thank you for agreeing to be a part of this panel. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We, we don't have a lot of time to explore all the issues, and so I'm hoping uh, right now in advance I can invite you back later in the year to talk about the issues that are going on in uh, New Orleans, uh, we uh, in the country have become aware after Hurricane Katrina uh, on a larger scale about the things that happened in public education over the years. But um, those of us who have been following public education progress uh, have long understood the challenges and specific challenges that have been faced uh, in, in New Orleans. And so just uh, as a way of background, uh, for the school system, just thinking about New Orleans kind of before and after Hurricane Katrina, uh, was that one of the things I, I, I'd like to point out to the audience that New Orleans was known as the lowest performing school district in Louisiana. Um, and after quite a bit of uh, cries for help, um, uh, two-thirds of the schools in New Orleans were rated as academically unacceptable. Um, when uh, Hurricane Katrina uh, actually hit, um, New Orleans had been declared to be an academic crisis. And so the recovery school district was formed and, and took control and turned many of the schools into charter schools. Uh, and, and, and so there's been a lot of discussion and conversation about uh, what was really at play here. And for some uh, people, thought and, and, and understood that there was a political machine at work here using New Orleans as the test ground for widespread, widespread charter uh, implementation. Um, and so uh, there's been a lot of controversy there. And so uh, the first question I have, and I'd like to, uh, to direct this first question to our uh, guests who, have, who are currently in charter schools um, to talk about 
give me in, in your assessment um, how charter schools have, on, on one hand, made a positive difference. And we're going to get to some of the problems, but I want to hear from you what you see uh, has, that have been contributions that charter schools have made in New Orleans. I think one thing from the leadership perspective is that um, because charters do have a little bit more freedom in the way that they operate, there is some innovation going on that allows for differentiation in the classroom. So as we use data-driven instruction, we can really make sure students are getting exactly what they need because we're not having to adhere to one particular curriculum or, you know, state mandate. Okay, so... Um, so you, you, with innovation, what, what specifically are you speaking about? Um, for example, you know, one, one thing that we decided in early childhood is that we definitely need small group learning. And so we adopted every single part of our curriculum to make sure that that's happening, to raise um, our literacy rates and test scores up higher, um, as opposed to having to use sort of a blanket curriculum like we used in the past before we became a charter district. Okay, okay. Now, uh, Katie, I know that you are the Director of Therapeutic Programs. I had an opportunity to speak to you before the show about what what happens uh, in, in your role, but one of the things uh, that seems that struck me about what you're doing in, in your role uh, as the Director of Therapeutic Programs, it didn't seem as though uh, kind of before Katrina, there was much emphasis on uh, mental health, uh, but it, it sounded as if your program specifically is targeting students that have a variety of mental health issues and some of them related to uh, the post-traumatic stress of Hurricane Katrina. Tell us a little bit about that. Absolutely. Um, I think one of the things that's important to note is that before, like pre-Katrina, <laughs> um, in the school system, special education it specifically was broken down into, like, people were classified and kind of in programs based on their need. Um, they weren't always very effective, but there was a program for kids who had emotional disturbances or for autism. After Katrina, realizing that that didn't work very well pre-Katrina, they kind of went the opposite route and had really blanket all-inclusion models in a lot of schools. So because of that, we saw kids kind of not being serviced well in that context as well. So when I came into my role three years ago, what we saw was a lot of kids with really high needs, especially medical needs from trauma that they, um, like trauma within their lives here in New Orleans, but also with med like a medical need um, within their disabilities um, not being serviced well. So the idea behind the program that I, um, I run at this point is that we're trying to be kind of a therapeutic model within a school because in New Orleans and really in Louisiana, there are no programs for kids with that extreme level of disability. Okay, interesting, very interesting. And would you, would you say that uh, in terms of the, the trauma, if you will, um, with uh, Hurricane Katrina that you're seeing an increase in the children that need services? I, I, I do think that that is true. I think um, 
that's a true across the board. I think a little bit of what we look at is this idea of trauma that children have experienced either from Katrina or within violence that is seen within New Orleans, like gun violence or, or things like that that they have experienced in their lives. And then what I really work with is the kids who have not only that trauma, but in addition have some kind of medical diagnosis, whether it's bipolar disorder or schizophrenia, and then you put those two things together, and oftentimes these are kids who are kind of unable to work well in a regular setting or within a regular school setting. And what I saw, at least what I experienced, was that most of those kids were getting kicked out of schools, getting shuffled between schools and expelled, or were being put on, like, homebound services where they weren't really getting quality instruction. Gotcha. I see. I see. Very interesting. And Dana, I know that you you have, um, at least in New Orleans, um, post-Katrina, worked in both charter and in public. So can you tell us a little right. bit about about your experience and, and what do you see that charters are contributing um, that, that perhaps the um, public school could learn from? Um, well, I will say this uh, when we start talking pre- and post-Katrina, that one of the main differences here is that, um, of course, from the outside, it appears that charters um, have done more with less, um, when, in fact, if they did more at all, it was mainly through massive subsidies from the state corporations and foundations, um, which pre-Katrina Public traditional schools just did not have access. We did not have those types of monies coming in. So clearly there's going to be more services and there's going to be more programs that are involved if the cash flow has increased tremendously and it's not just increased subsidies from the state, but it is also corporations and foundations, which we did not have that um, pre katrina So it's really not um, uh, apples to apples uh, uh, in terms of comparison. Um, I will say that um, that there have been good things that charters have done um, since Katrina, but I will also say that there's clearly a lot of deficiencies and a lot of work that still needs to be done, and particularly um, when it comes to um, relationships with the community, relationships with students individually, cultural competency, um, understanding um, the, the, the historical uh, perspective of dealing with an overwhelming uh, community of color. Um, and, you know, you're talking about a system of charters and, and transients that have come into the system, that have come into New Orleans and into the school system um, that just do not necessarily have that background information. Um, and we've been seeing a lot of, uh, there's been a lot of turmoil um, as a result of that because it seems as if those two are names of the city and certainly veteran teachers haven't really been relied on a whole lot to be a part of that discussion about how we can work collaboratively and, and, and rebuild our school system into something that um, works for everyone. Well, you know, you raise a really interesting and powerful point, which is a great segue to um, what I wanted to talk about next and kind of bring uh, Patrick in on this. Uh, to our listeners, if you're just joining in, you've reached the Perkins Platform, a, a forum dedicated to issues in education leadership in public schools. Uh, we're going to ask our guests to call in shortly uh, by dialing uh, 347-826-9029. Again, 347-826-9029. And we'll try to take a, uh, at least a couple of calls towards the end here. 
Um, Patrick, I want you to jump in because Dana uh, has, has raised really, really powerful, interesting points here, particularly about the, the, kind of the pre- and post-Katrina. Uh, um, I do know that Dana is uh, a graduate um, of, of a high school in New Orleans and uh, was there um, uh, as, a, as a growing up and, and, and certainly came back to yeah. give back to the community. Um, I think the, the balance of the panel here today, I think um, some of you may have been uh, in New Orleans pre-Katrina, but um, not necessarily grown up there. Um, so I know Dana has kind of a, a unique perspective here, but I'd like to hear, Patrick, right. um, because that's one of the issues that while um, perceptions uh, are one thing about pre- and post-Katrina New Orleans in terms of education, uh, but I, I would like to hear uh, from you about that particular challenge as well, uh, about uh, community engagement and, and what has been the real a hurdle, an obstacle to making that happen and making it smoother uh, from your perspective in charter accountability in the state. Thank you. Um, I think there's a couple issues at play. Um, and I do think that charter schools want to be more involved with the community um, and they want to hire more local teachers. Um, but I think there's a couple things that, um, that really um, present, a, present some roadblocks there. Um, for community engagement, I think that a lot of charter schools really came in here with the mindset that we're from out of town, we can do it better. Um, and I think they have found over time that they really do need a lot of community buy-in, they do need a lot of community support. So I have seen a lot of schools um, that, have, that are kind of growing in that area. Um, as it relates to, to the HR and the um, human capital side, um, I, do have to, I do have to challenge, um, I, I want to kind of just say that for so many years in New Orleans, students were being failed, um, and they were being failed by teachers that were local to New Orleans. There were many layers of, of failure at the, at the teacher level, at the school administrator, at the district level level, but I, but I think that it comes down to the teacher at the end of the day. Um, and I think now we have a lot of kind of teacher preparation. We have a lot more programs that are bringing in um, stronger teachers that may not be from New Orleans. Um, I also think there's, there's programs here in New Orleans that are developing and enhancing teacher, teachers that are here, teachers and administrators. So I, I, I believe that the students should have the best teacher that they, that they can have. Um, and where they come from doesn't really matter, doesn't really matter to me. Um, I think some of our schools are facing some challenges now where some of the teachers are only staying for two or three years. I think everybody understands that that is not sustainable, that does, that doesn't really work. Um, so I see some push now to um, develop compensation plans, develop more, um, more flexible scheduling so that schools are, are a place where a teacher can kind of grow, uh, that a teacher can kind of grow in their profession and stay for a while. Interesting. So, but, you know, going back to something uh, Dana just mentioned was that, you know, that, that there's a, there's, there are differences. Uh, I'd like to hear you respond to that, that there are differences in the way uh, money was available, resources, both capital and human resources were made available before Katrina and then after. Uh, we know the national debate on uh, relaxed accountability in charter schools. Uh, how do you respond to that? 
Um, I do think that um, there was more available, more money available at the very beginning of um, Katrina. I mean, there were quite a few grants, there were quite a few state and federal programs, as well as um, philanthropic donors that kind of brought in a lot of money. Um, a lot of the schools now are really facing a, a money crunch. They have the money to do it. In order to remain viable, in order to remain successful, they're really having to trim down their staff and, and um, make do with what traditionally has been the number. Um, uh, the amount provided to the schools. Um, so I think they're kind of learning quickly that um, all of that money is not, um, it's not an unlimited pool of money, I would say. I heard someone trying to jump in. I, I actually wanted Davina to have an opportunity to speak um, because I wanted to respond back to Patrick, Dr. Perkins. But I wanted, I think this is a really good coming time for, for Davina to, to speak to that because she also has had experience and I'm just gonna piggyback off of her. Thanks, thanks, Dan. I appreciate that. Um, I would say that um, I have quite a lot of time working with uh, many of the new teachers who have come to New Orleans since the storm, and uh, actually quite a few of these teachers feel very underprepared simply because it's not unusual at all for charter schools to use a staffing model where anywhere from 80 to 100% of their teachers are first-year teachers who've had you know, five weeks of training through an alternate certification program. Um, and, you know, I, I think, unfortunately, Patrick's analysis misses what research has shown us now for many, many years, which is that um, with respect to student achievement, these, uh, that issue cannot be divorced from larger social issues related to poverty, related to, um, you know, child welfare in general. And... Um, you know, in terms of the idea that, that um, teachers were failing students pre-Katrina, the reality now is that 79% of charter schools run by the RSP have failure, uh, grades of Bs and Fs, and 100% um, of the schools that are directly run by the district have um, a grading of an F. So, you know, we've really not seen any overall huge improvement in uh, student achievement. And with respect to the idea of um, it doesn't matter where the teachers are from, this is absolutely not what you hear from students when you speak to them directly. Um, you know, in New Orleans, we have a very, very real and serious issue with um, the school-to-prison pipeline where teachers, because they lack um, cultural knowledge, um, are having to, you know, in, in, use these very harsh disciplinary practices that criminalize what are, you know, just developmental issues related to students and where if they had better relationships, they could find, you know, conflict resolution alternatives that would not uh, criminalize students. And so there's been a very, very large upsurge in the rates of suspensions. Um, New Orleans has a suspension rate that is uh, three times that the national average, an expulsion rate that is twice as high. And as our system is now 80% um, charter or more, um, it's clear where most of those suspensions and expulsions are coming from. So, um, you know, so there, there are very, um, you know, there is kind of this approach to come in and throw out everything that was here prior to the storm, but what was also thrown out was historical knowledge. And, and I'm watching now as a lot of the teachers and schools are struggling to, to reclaim knowledge that they would have had had they actually involved the community, involved veteran teachers who have a deeper knowledge and understanding of this community. Well, you know, you raised some really good points. And, and so, Jenny, 
I'd like you to jump in and tell us a little bit about your experience as a as a school leader. You 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 mentioned that you were uh, for pre uh, pre K two uh, the kind of the start of of ex- uh, the educational experience with children. So t- tell us a little bit about your experience as a leader and getting teachers involved and any struggles you might have had um, in, in a charter school. Right. Well, I mean, I think it all circles back to the initial hiring. And what's interesting is how a lot of the HR departments are going about seeking the teachers that we have in the applicant pool. Um, one of the things that I emphasize highly is commitment to staying. Like Patrick was saying, you know, when we have teachers that are cycling through very quickly, then they don't have that chance, especially if they're not from here, to make those connections that Davina and Dana are talking about. Um, And so really screening teachers highly for commitment to a school over a longer period of time than just one or two years. I think it really does take that balance to have the veteran teachers there who can help shepherd in the teachers that are coming from out of state or from even out of Orleans Parish, where, um, you know, even if you've worked outside of Orleans Parish for a while, it may be a very different environment with very different needs. And so it's really important to have a staff that is balanced in a way that can serve students the best. Thank you. Thank you. And so, um, you know, very interesting uh, that I I can certainly understand uh, the challenges. And I know that one of the uh, other issues that had come up about cultural differences, when you have people coming, the South is a very different place, uh, as are all of our regions. Uh, New Orleans has a long history of, of really complicated race relations. Uh, just, you know, we might as well, uh, you know, tackle it and put it out there. Um, it has um, historically um, a lot of, of problems, both in the political and in the social uh, arena. And, and so I think, you know, the, the attention, and I'd like, I always like to refer to it as it, it really took a storm to bring the attention of the nation to a place where, uh, for many of us, uh, we had been concerned about New Orleans for years, and and I think that we you know we we certainly need to make sure that um, you know we we don't discount the efforts of individuals that were were there before, um, but um, certainly uh, speak to the promise of what what's going to happen. So we have uh, a few more minutes uh, here, and I've been enjoying this conversation. Uh, those of you who may have tuned in late, we're still with uh, the Perkins platform, and we're asking guests uh, to call in at 347-826-9029. I see we have uh, a caller here on the board from um, area code uh, 318, and that's in Louisiana. So we're going to ask our first caller uh, to just give us your name and uh, where you're from. Hello. How are you all doing today? My name is Michelle, and I'm from Alexandria, Louisiana. And um, I visit New Orleans a lot uh, over my lifetime, and I am concerned that, as you all speak, that um, I think Patrick had said something about the teachers that were there before. And I think it's it's important that in order to for the system to be um, to continue, that you incorporate some of the teachers or uh, that were there before 
Um, I, I'm concerned that even as a, as a, excuse me, as successful as a as a charter school can be, that you um, just make sure that you involve the community. I think that that's the only way that this thing can substantiate itself. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much. Anyone um, wants to? I was just going to say, I'd like to speak quickly um, as somebody who works in a pre-K through 8 charter school and also runs um, runs a, a, this my therapeutic program. One of the things I've seen that I do, I, kind of listening to everyone, I think has been really successful about my program is most of my staff, teachers, assistants alike, my counselor, most of them are Native New Orleans. And most of them understand the dynamics that our students have lived through. They understand and come from the communities. And so we have a really strong participation of our community and of our, our, our families um, who are in the program. And I really attest that to the strength of the people that I've had on my staff. Um, I think some of that comes down to, to coaching and, and people who had been working in the system pre-Katrina who maybe hadn't had the best results but with coaching have become really exceptional teachers. Um, on the other hand, I also have people on my staff who are from out of state, um, have lived here for many years at this point, and are equally committed and I think have made the same level of gains and have the support um, and have built the relationships within our community. Um, so I think that it's a tricky, I think it's a tricky situation to say, like, most charter schools have this level of a model or – vice versa. I think it really depends on the school, and I think that's part of what's really tricky about charter schools, is it looks really different depending on the school. Um, mm -hmm. And I do think that there are some schools that have 100% people maybe from out of network or from out of the city, um, which I don't think is a great version either. So I think that there has to be a balance there. Um, I just wanted to put it out there. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. Hey, Katie, uh, uh, this, is, this is Dana, and I really appreciate you sharing that about your therapeutic program. I think the problem has been, and, and I think um, we'd be remiss if we don't say this, but I think the problem has been is that there really hasn't been too much of a – what you're saying is that you, you made a value decision, right? You, you understood that it was important to value the people that are native to this community and how important that they would be a part in helping the healing process with the children that you're providing services for. And so I think the entry into New Orleans community from those who are not necessarily native of here was that there was not a whole lot of value given to those people who existed here. I think that the thought was that, okay, so you all were failures. You didn't do good before. Um, so we really don't really trust that you would, you know, be, uh, would do very well in, in this new uh, landscape that we're trying to build. Um, and so I think coming in, how you enter in, New Orleans is a very close-knit, historical, um, uh, uh, family-oriented type of community. Um, it, it's very different, and, and people understand its uniqueness throughout the world. Um, and that is just not how you make things happen in this city. Uh, people, we have a need to want to be included in those types of discussions because it is our community, it is our children, and so I think uh, the 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 I think there was more of a responsibility or accountability on those coming into the city um, who were not necessarily familiar with the community, not so not, uh, familiar with our historical and cultural practices, to extend the olive branch. That did not happen that way. Um, and so, as community members, we had to fight 
to get an entry, to get a voice into that. And, and again, I, I want to, I, I feel, I mean, please feel free to respond back, whoever wants to respond back. But as a native of that city and being here and, and being here not just for high school but also for my undergraduate um, college experience, I understand very well the historical and cultural context of how our city operates. And I saw how uh, the way that many folks came into the city post-Katrina, it was not necessarily with the intent to involve the people who were native here because there was not a value given for what it is that they had to offer. And I think what you said, Katie, is that you saw the value, you understood that, and that your program could not possibly be successful if you excluded those voices. I, I agree with you. I do, say, I do think that there is a there is a piece, and others please join in too. But like, I think that there, that is a piece that has made my program successful. As I've sat here and listened to it, I've really thought about it. that. Is that is a piece that having that cultural connection is important? Absolutely. Yeah, and so, agree with that. and Patrick, uh, let me ask you a question. So, um, as far as accountability goes for renewing charters, uh, I, I, is it more than uh, test scores and test score improvement, but as it seems all of our guests here are, are uh, acknowledging the importance of the community connection and the community buy-in, uh, is there a segment of your accountability process that, um, that holds leaders in schools and school communities accountable in that, in that regard, that they have to demonstrate those community connections. Is that is that a part of your assessment? No, I wouldn't say. I, I agree that you need a balance of people at your school in order to be successful. Um, but I would say that what we are looking for and what we are renewing charters on is results. Um, and so, however, as a school, as a charter school principal, you can achieve those results. If you can achieve them with all New Orleanians, if you can achieve them with uh, achieve them with all people from out of town, what we are looking for is is result. Um, and however those are achieved is is really up to the discretion of the school leader. And I think right there, um, Dr. Perkins, is where we also encounter some trouble because uh, the way in which some of the schools have chosen to create their results by any means, as I alluded to earlier, has involved, um, you know, the displacement of students with special needs. There is a federal lawsuit that has been filed regarding that um, on behalf of the students of New Orleans. Um, you know, as I said, they're extremely high suspension and expulsion rates. So, you know, when we reduce outcomes to just by any means necessary without being attentive to process, you know, the quality of education suffers and we just get a very narrow window into these quote-unquote results. And as I said, the results that we are producing are really that stellar when 79% of charter schools are rated DNF and 100% of the direct-run schools are rated as um, as F. And, and just one last point is that the, the the original school board, which was allowed to run a few schools um, that were originally high-performing, which, but which became open enrollment schools um, and have a staff of primarily veteran teachers, the school district is now ranked second in the state. And, and that is largely based on the fact that, um, you know, there is a very strong connection between the faculty and the students. We have very strong leadership. We've had stability that we did not have prior to the storm in terms of our um, board and uh, district-level leadership. And and so, you know, as Dana had also said earlier, it's very, very difficult to do comparisons pre- and post-Katrina 
because there are so many different variables that have come into play since. Yeah. Well, I, I tell you, I really appreciate this conversation, and we're we're actually over time, and we've we've spent a great deal of time uh, just scratching the surface here about uh, what's going on in New Orleans. And so my invitation is back to the same panel. We're going to bring you back later in the year to talk a little bit more. And I want to dig a little deeper into this, uh, the the whole accountability component and and test scores and the importance or lack of importance of test scores and results. And so um, a special thank you to all of you who took time out of your uh, busy schedule today to be with us. And I want to invite the listeners uh, to join us back next month on Wednesday, May 15th at 2 p.m. when I uh, talk with uh, Dr. Elaine Weiss, who is the national coordinator of broader, bolder approach to education campaign um, at the Economic Policy Institute. She's just uh, published a, uh, a groundbreaking report on the impact of test-based teacher evaluations, looking at the communities of D.C., New York, and Chicago. So I want to invite you back to join us next week. Again, a very special thank you. Next month, um, a very special thank you uh, to our um, guests this week and to our listeners for joining in again. And so until next month, on the 15th, go well, stay well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.